Morning, church. Um, join with me as I read um, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 18 to 31. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligent, I will frustrate. Where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to, to save those who believe. Jews demand signs and Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were, you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential, not many were of noble birth, but God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that, that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus who has become for us wisdom from God, that is, our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boasts in the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. So let's just pause for a minute, uh, see it, and allow what we've just heard to, uh, to reflect on that um, before, we, before we move on. Loving God, we thank you for these words this morning. We want to be wise people, but we know that wisdom in your eyes is a little different to what we might think. And so, Lord, we pray that your wisdom would sink into our hearts this morning. And we open our minds and our hearts before you, Lord Jesus. Make us ready to receive what you would have for us this morning, we pray. May the words of my mouth, the meditations, the reflections of our hearts be pleasing to you, Lord God, acceptable to you, our strength, our rock, our redeemer. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Just give me one second. Okay, there we go. So, last week we uh, began a series in the letter to the Corinthians called, usually called First Corinthians, a letter from Paul, the Apostle Paul, written to the church, the disciples of Jesus in Corinth, which was a city uh, that was 
um, as I shared last week, rebuilt by the Romans around the, uh, a little bit after Jesus and um, around, around that, sorry, a little bit before um, the time Jesus lived. And um, had a whole, whole heaps of issues, a whole heap of issues. And Paul is writing to the Christians there, helping them to, and, and addressing various disputes and behavioral issues and human tensions, much like the modern day church. And I, I finished last week with a quote from Gordon Fee that says, he says, the, Corinthian, the, the issues the Corinthians were dealing with are, quote, but mirrors held up before the church today. Very relevant to us. And so Paul's gentle but at times very firm words um, are every bit as as applicable to us in the 21st century. Uh, That's because by default the culture around us tends to shape our thinking. The world we live in, the world we grew up in, the, the, the culture around us, whether it be in the family or the workplace or whatever, it tends to shape uh, the way we think, the way we see the world. But as a disciple of Jesus, and then consequently as a family of disciples called the church, um, we are actually to be shaped by the gospel to therefore shape the world, not the other way around, not be shaped by the world and then reshape the gospel that uh, us as disciples of Jesus to be shaped by the good news of Jesus. And so um, I'm calling this series Gospel People. If you have a, a better term than that, I'm happy to change the title later on. But basically, I just want to call it Gospel People because this letter and this focus that we're going to, over the next uh, couple of months is really all about the church, the people of God together being shaped by the gospel being defined by the gospel, people who, for whom the gospel is the thing that shapes and makes us who we are. And the gospel is just the good news of Jesus. That's what it means. The gospel at, at the heart of it is an announcement and it's an invitation. Gospel just means, as I said, good news. And at the very beginning of Jesus' ministry, he made an announcement. He stood up and he said, the time has come The kingdom of God or heaven has come near, or some translations say, is at hand. Repent and believe the good news. And and those words that come after, repent and believe, repent just means change your thinking, change the way uh, that you you think and see things. And believe is, it's more than just a mental acceptance, like, oh, well, I believe in something, but, but a worldview that moves you to live differently. So change how you think. Think now that this, this announcement has been made and then live differently as a result. Uh, in his letter to the Corinthians, Paul focuses on this announcement, this news, that God's kingdom, that means his rule and his reign, is now here, it's near, it's at hand. But also, almost paradoxically, it's still to come. So this is, the, this is that paradox of the Christian faith. It's already, but it's not yet. The kingdom of God, the nearness of God in our world is already a truth, but it's also not yet, and it's still coming. So what that means is if God, it it shapes our lives in two ways, that we have to live in this tension. If God is here with us now, it shapes how we see the world and live in it. But if there's still something better, still something to come that we're hoping and waiting for, that too shapes how we see the world and live in it. And, and this also this already but not yet people that we are. For example, um, it shapes how we relate with one another in friendships. 
and in the church. It shapes how we view sex and sexuality. It shapes how we approach deeply ingrained cultural differences. It shapes how we approach supernatural experiences. And this is all the stuff that Paul deals with in his letter, from sex and sexuality to marriage to cultural stuff to, um, to supernatural things, all of that. And this all comes in first, later in 1 Corinthians. But where Paul starts in the first few chapters is looking at human wisdom. And so I'm calling this message, The Gospel Versus Wisdom. Um, Because this is where Paul starts in the whole letter. Anybody love a good TED Talk? Or maybe a book uh, on personal development or leadership principles? Anybody go to conferences or or seminars like to upskill, to gain knowledge? I am a... I, I confess that I'm a junkie, a bit of a junkie, all this stuff. Um, in terms of fiction material, I read the first book of the Chronicles of Narnia series, and I got halfway through the first Harry Potter book, and that's the extent of the fiction I've read in my life. Um, however, when it comes to various kinds of wisdom in leadership and personal growth and Christian thought and YouTube videos, TED Talks and that kind of thing, interviews, podcasts, uh, whatever kind of, 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 of learning and growing in a, in a non-fiction uh, kind of a way, um, I love all that stuff, any, any kind of it, just to, to grow and to learn um, and to grow in wisdom. And, and it wasn't all that different for the people in Corinth. Paul mentions in today's reading, I don't know if you picked it up, the philosophers, the scholars, the debaters, the wise people of the time. Because they were so sought after, and this is what the Corinthians wanted and what they valued in the Greek or the Hellenistic culture, there was a particular desire to seek out wisdom. And the the Greek word for wisdom, Sophia, is also the name of the Greek goddess of wisdom. And they would almost associate wisdom and knowledge with divineness. It was this divine search they were on. Um, I don't fully understand and comprehend exactly what that meant, but bottom line is it was a big deal in their culture. As I mentioned last week, the new Christians seemed to think that the gospel brought to them by Paul, who's now writing this letter many years later, they seem to think that this gospel was simply the kind of upper tier of divine wisdom. We've reached where we were trying to get to. Because when they later on here have this other leader come in, Apollos, who sort of is like a philosopher to them, who's seeming more, seemingly more eloquent than Paul and has better oratory skills, and he's, he's able to, to speak more fluently and all this kind of thing, they kind of, it, it, it highlights that they've, they've misunderstand what the message is about. Well, you know, this is, this is an upgrade from Paul, this guy's message. They've misunderstood that this message, the gospel, is about a person whose life and message is by their standards foolishness. For example, this man said, the first will be last and the last will be first. <laughs> it's like, well, well, hang on a second. We're, we're, we're trying to, we're seeking out the best of the best, the philosophers, the wise people, the sages, all that. This man said, the one who tries to save his life will lose it. And the one who loses his life will save it. That doesn't make any sense. How's that wisdom? 
And, th- and as we will read later on when we do our thanksgiving and blessing for Matilda, this man Jesus said, um, one must become like a little child in their attitude and thinking. Now, I don't know about you, but my two boys, Mark and Josiah, who are four and two, are not particularly wise in anything, <laughs> right? And, and, I mean, in that culture, a, a child, you know, is someone of, of little to no worth in, until they grow up. Now, we might think it's a little bit different now, but ultimately, ch- kids are cute. Adults are wise. And Jesus is saying, you've got to think actually like a, a child. And, and on top of that, a person who serves, a person who suffers for others, in their thinking, that's foolishness. That's like you're being trampled on. Really, you've got to progress to something more valuable than that in in their society. And so the gospel, Christ crucified for sinners. It doesn't gel with their deeply ingrained cultural understanding. Now, remember, these people who we're talking about are not unrepentant pagans. We're not talking here about... um, It's just anti-Christian atheists who Paul's trying to address them and say, no, you're wrong, you have have wrong thinking. He's writing to disciples of Jesus. He's writing to the church. He's writing to the equivalent of you and I who who want to be followers of Jesus and love Jesus. Uh, And this challenges me to think, okay, am I similar? Even though I believe in Jesus, I want to follow Jesus, I I love Jesus, this is who I am and how, how I define my... Is my thinking still shaped just a little bit, at least, by another culture? I find this almost every day. I'll listen to a, um, as I said, I'm a bit of a, a, a junkie for this stuff, so I'll listen to a gifted debater or communicator and think, oh, I've got to become more like that. That's the wisdom I need. That's the intellect I need. I go to a leadership seminar and maybe come out thinking, that, you know, this is, this is the right thing. A financial management class or, or, or it might be a style of clothing. Oh, we, that's what I need to be valued in other people's eyes. Or how to tell good jokes. Or how to win friends and influence people. Or how to have a veggie garden that will impress your neighbors. Or how to go on the keto diet. Or how to get fit. Or how to just have all the best qualities of all the Avengers wrapped into one. Because if you're not really a superhero, you're a failure. I mean, this is the, the, the thing. Anybody else feel like this? Like, maybe just me. The constant messages of our world, though, is, is like, well, this is wise, and this is right, and this is what you should do, and this is good, and this is... And I, I just find it encouraging, in a depressing kind of way, to recognize that this is the norm. We all default. Every single one of us defaults to having our perspective, our worldview, our approach to life challenges shaped by the wisdom around us. And it's encouraging to know that in a depressing kind of way because it means we all fall into this. We're all in the same boat. None of us are better than any other. Um, it's just natural. It's just natural and it's human to do so, to let the thinking around us shape how we see things and how we think. Um, and this has always been the case. So take, for example, the Jewish people of Jesus' day. Um, broadly speaking, there were four groups of um, uh, not necessarily sects, um, but four groups of people um, within the Jewish uh, people at the time of Jesus. And each of them were trying to deal with 
the Roman occupation in the best way they knew how. What do I mean by the Roman occupation? Well, the fact that at that time, the greatest the, um, military superpower of the world, the Romans, who were ruthless and, and brutal, they were, um, they were oppressing the Jews. And the Jews could only... We're good? Okay. <laughs> the Jews could only do what the Romans would let them to do. And they wanted to live out their faith but it was that we were restricted by this superpower who said, who said no, you, you're not allowed to. We, we have control here. And so the Pharisees were the first group, and they basically said, you know what? This is a result of God um, punishing us for not being holy enough, not doing the right thing, not being good enough. So their approach was holiness. They said, we just need to be better in God's eyes, then God will forgive us, God will see us as righteous again, and then he'll get rid of the Romans for us. So that's where the Pharisees came up with things like, you know what, why, do you, why are your disciples, Jesus, picking heads of grain during the Sabbath? You're not allowed to do that. Why are you um, uh, picking up your mats, you healed person? You're not allowed to do that on the Sabbath because they took all of the priestly requirements from the law, in other words, what the priests in the temple had to do, and they said, we'll just impose this on everyone else. So it was law, 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 so that we will become holy enough that God will be pleased with us again, and then he'll deal with our problem. That was their approach. The Sadducees took a different approach. Jews, Jews generally believed that there would be a resurrection of the dead one day, but the Sadducees started to just to lower the bar theologically. No, we don't need to believe that anymore. Maybe, maybe we just need to ease up a bit. This would be kind of the liberal equivalent of today. Let's just lower the bar. The zealots, on the other hand, said there's only one way to get rid of the Romans. That's to get rid of the Romans. So they took the, the violent, the military approach. Let's fight them. Let's get rid of them with, with swords and daggers, basically. And they trained people to fight, literally. And then the Essenes, you don't hear much about because they're the ones who just went, we're out of here, let's go live in the desert. Let's just run away. So these were the four groups and the four approaches they took to the, to the challenge of their lifetime. The people they did life with, the culture that they were enmeshed in, Pharisees, Sadducees, Zealots, or Essenes, reinforced a view, reinforced a wisdom that said, this is how to deal with this. This is how we get through with this. And Jesus doesn't come in and say, hey, you three are right, you three are wrong, but you guys got it right. What does Jesus do? He comes in and he says to every single one of them, there's another way. Your wisdom, your approach to life's challenges is not helping. There's another way. Fast forward to the Corinthians and Paul says a similar thing when it comes to Jews and Greeks. Jews demand signs, Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. And this is where the gospel comes in. There is another way. It's an announcement. And it cuts through. This announcement cuts through any and all other approaches. All other wisdom that says, you need to do this to get right with God. You need to do this to get through this challenge. You need to X, Y, Z, fill in the blank. 
to get to heaven or utopia or, or wisdom or the kind of life you desire or how, however one would put it at the time. You need to be holy enough. You need to be enlightened enough. You need to be rich enough. You need to be smart enough. You need to be old enough or young enough. Am I not pretty enough? Whatever the thing may be, whatever the line, you need to, you need to, you need to. The gospel, on the other hand, is an invitation to who? Who is the gospel an invitation to? Everybody. Everyone. Not, the gospel is not, the path has been identified, here's how to get to it. First in, best dressed. The gospel is an invitation to all, to everyone. God is near. Change your thinking and believe. That's it. Now, some would say, oh, well, that's still a response. That's still something you have to do. Yes, I guess, insofar as receiving a gift is something you have to do, because this is what it is. Grace means gift. Receiving a gift. If that's an action, call it an action. But that's all it is, is receiving it. And so it levels the playing field. And Jesus' ministry made this visible over and over and over and over again. So, for example, the sick, the lame, the paralyzed people were not only not excluded, but they were prioritized. They were healed by him. They were set free by him. Tax collectors who were the scum of the earth, according to the Jews, because they had rebelled and betrayed their own people. They were included. One of them was included in his inner circle. And then even a zealot who thought, I'm doing the right thing here. Uh, this is what God wants to fight against these baddies. You know, even a zealot was included in Jesus' inner circle alongside the scum tax collector who he probably wanted to kill as well. The gospel was an invitation that Jesus modeled over and over again, an invitation to all, no standards required, no exclusions. And Paul says it this way, it's because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God, that is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. So three key words, righteousness, holiness, and redemption. If you think about it, these three things are earned in any other kind of relationship or any kind of approach or wisdom. Righteousness or right relationship, if you like, you grow, you build, you earn in someone's eyes. I wouldn't go up to a stranger and say, would you love me unconditionally for the rest of my life? Like, you have to grow that. You have to build that. You have to de develop a relationship. And, and, and like in a marriage, for example, holiness, you have to develop and steward and build moral and ethical character that would set you apart. That's what holiness means. And in some religions, this is the case, but it's only the, the, the top, prophet or the, 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 the select few who reach holiness, like the Buddha or the whatever, like it's, it's like you have to earn it. You have to move your way up to it. And redemption, freedom from the bounds, the change of this world, the, the chains of this world, this flawed world, like that's, you have to seek, you have to work for that, you have to seek after that. But in Jesus, all three are a gift, just given with, with no strings attached. In Jesus, it's all a gift. But that means there's potentially a problem 
So here's the problem. It's a stumbling block or it's foolishness to many of us. The problem is that the gospel can either be a stumbling block if we're looking for a standard to achieve, if we're looking for an exclusive club to get into, or it might seem like foolishness if, if we're seeking wisdom, if we're seeking knowledge, enlightenment to give us our worth. Later on, Paul says this, no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Christ Jesus. And yet we're taught from a young age to build foundations in money, relationships, knowledge, physical strength, whatever it is. We're taught to build these foundations, but there's no other foundation. 1 Corinthians 3.18 says, if you think you are wise, you should become fools. Well, we've built our lives trying to learn, upskill, get wiser. And so the message of Christ crucified, which is this, that he would take our unworthiness upon himself and transfer to us his righteousness and holiness and redeem us, what does that mean? It means any effort of mine to be good enough is void. Let me say that again. If the message of Christ crucified is to exchange our unworthiness, our unworthiness goes on to him, his righteousness and holiness comes to us, a great exchange, that means any effort of mine to be good enough is void, is not worth anything. And that can be a problem for us because then I will have nothing to boast of if I fully give myself to God. It isn't that the root human issue. If my reaching the place I want to reach, heaven, whatever you might want to call it, has absolutely nothing to do with my effort, I can't take any credit. And as much as I want heaven and blessing and the life as it's meant to be, I also want recognition and I want to do it my way so it's my achievement. But we can't have it both ways. And so there's a choice, which is why the gospel is not just an announcement, but it's an invitation. It's an invitation to repent, change your thinking, and believe, live a different way. And this invitation calls for a response. And, and for those of us who are Christians, and go, okay, it calls for a response. Those of us who are Christians tend to think, well, I've responded. Majority in the, of you in the room this morning, I've responded. I've chosen to trust Jesus. I've been forgiven. Isn't that enough? And, and yes, of course, that's enough. Once, when, when we have this, this sure hope of salvation, we, we can be confident that Jesus um, has us in his family. We are in Christ. It is enough. But between now and the life to come, we tend to continue being shaped by the culture around us, as I said before. And to counter that, to counter being shaped continually by everything around us, we need to keep responding to the gospel. We need to keep responding to the invitation. To keep saying, I accept this gift. To keep saying, I am so not worthy of this gift, God, but I gratefully receive it from you. To keep responding. Why is it that Paul focused on the gospel while addressing disputes with one another? 
They're talking about, well, they're, they're fighting over these things and there's, we disagree on this stuff. Why does Paul address that with the gospel? Because when we take our eyes off the fact that our salvation is something we can't claim an ounce of credit for, then we lose perspective. But when we, we, we focus on the fact that it's not of our doing, we can't boast of it, it's all a gift. It puts everything in perspective. We start to become of one mind because all that matters is responding with gratitude to this gift and sharing the announcement and the invitation to others. Or to put it another way, being disciples of Jesus and making disciples of Jesus. So we're going to put this into practice. From uh, today onwards, and, and Georgina actually kicked this off without having spoken to me a couple of weeks ago, but from today onwards, um, uh, our celebration um, leader or myself or whoever's preaching on the day will, will each and every Sunday just simply remind us of the good news of Jesus and call us to respond once again. Not because we need to get re-saved every week, that's not the point, but because we need to keep responding and being reminded of what this gift really is. To say a few short words or a short prayer, simply saying, sorry, thank you, please. Sorry for our sin that put you on the cross, Jesus. Thank you for exchanging my sin for your righteousness. And please, God, empower me to live a life of thankful response to this gift in unity with others music team want to come up we're just going to pray be silent for a little bit and then pray something like that together father we thank you this morning for your word for the good news of jesus the reminder of that that everything we have lord is a gift from you but we do need to receive it we do need to say god we recognize that our own efforts to have worth and status in your eyes or in others' eyes, all of that is void. And so we can't claim any credit for ourselves. No one can boast. And so this morning, we just come back to you and say thank you for what you have done in our lives. Thank you for this invitation, this announcement that you are near and your available relationship with you is available to everyone. And thank you for this invitation to respond in repentance and belief. As I pray this morning, friends, if, you, uh, if this is your prayer, I just encourage you to repeat after me. Lord Jesus. Just repeat after me. Lord Jesus. Sorry for not living up to your standard. Forgive me of my sin. Thank you that you have taken my sin and replaced it with your righteousness. Please give me your Holy Spirit to help me live the life you want me to live. Amen.
just as we continue to pray this morning. If you're um, a follower of Jesus and uh, you, you just have forgotten that recently and you're saying, I, I've been reminded of the gospel this morning and I know, and, and I just, I just want to, you, you really do echo that prayer this morning. You want the Holy Spirit to help you to live a life that is pleasing to God. I just want to pray for you this morning. If that's you, just chuck your hand up. Father, I pray uh, for um, anyone in this room who is feeling as if they haven't lived up to the kind of life you're calling them to live as a disciple of Jesus. And as we pray this morning, I pray that you would fill each person um, with that heart, with that desire to follow you, with your Holy Spirit. That you would fill them up, refresh them, empower them, give them what they need to follow Jesus with their whole heart, knowing that they won't get it all right, but that you help them, you empower them. And as we continue in prayer, if there's anyone here who hasn't responded to the gospel before, but the Lord's stirring in your heart this morning, or you feel a tug, that's actually the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, who's drawing you in and saying, this is the truth, this isn't foolishness, this is actually wisdom. If there's anyone in the room this morning who, who just for the first time, you've never committed your life to Jesus before, but today you've echoed that prayer that we prayed earlier and you want to give your life to Jesus, um, I'd love you to just, just pop your hand up so I can see and we can pray for you this morning. Father, thank you uh, that you are in the business of saving and redeeming people. Ordinary people like us, Thank you for the baptism we get to celebrate next Sunday. I thank you for a blessing we get to pray over Matilda in just a little while. Lord, that we pray she would grow up and, and, and believe this good news and know the love of God our Father in Jesus. Thank you that you have saved us. And that as we sing now praises to you, we're reminded once again of the good news of Jesus and celebrate and give thanks once again. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks, team.